Hey there, this is Aaron Ellis from Simply Disciples. I just wanted to remind you again that December 11th is our episode dedicated to answering your questions about topics we covered in the previous podcast episodes. If you have a question, go to deercreekchurch.com forward slash Simply Disciples, or you can email us directly at simplydisciples at deercreekchurch.com. We look forward to trying to answer your questions. Thank you for joining us on Simply Disciples, a discipleship podcast designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. And today we're asking the question, is God in control of the world? There's a story about a local church that was spending a summer preaching through the book of Revelation. And as the pastor taught through uh, the series, he was thinking through what the sermon series should be titled. And he decided he would call the series God Reigns. So what he did is he prepared 20 messages and outlines that he sent to his administrative assistant. She was to print the bulletins for the summer, prepare everything in advance, And after sending the information to the printers, they received the summer bulletins back. Everything was perfect except for the very first page of the bulletin. Instead of the title page that read, God reigns, the printer accidentally wrote, God resigns. As as Christians in America, few would say that God has resigned. In fact, uh, we have many sayings that say the opposite. We believe that God reigns. We say God has a wonderful plan for your life, which is true. And God will work everything for your good, for those who he loves. That is true. But as much as we believe these things, it's easy to feel the opposite. And and functionally, we often act as if God has resigned. Uh, We often act as if it's up to us to redeem and transform the world or change political outcomes or elect the right candidates and change the world. As one evangelical author put it, the fate of Christianity hinges on the success of the United States. So even though we believe that God reigns, it often looks and feels like we believe God has, in fact, resigned. On this edition of Simply Disciples, we're asking the question many of us ask, is God really in control of the world? Is God actually in control of the events of history, and is he in control of the events of our lives? I'm joined by Tim Rehnquist, our executive pastor here at Deer Creek Church, and our associate pastor, Chad Donahoe. I'm Daniel Nealon. You guys, why... Uh, talk about this topic now. Why are, why are we talking about this topic specifically today? Yeah, I think it makes sense in what we've been discussing this entire semester on Simply Disciples. We've talked about major topics of theology in, in kind of the order that you would expect. Revelation, which is answering the question, how can we know God? We have general revelation in creation. We have special revelation in Scripture. Then we talked about God, which is what does Scripture say about who God is? Generally, we talked about God's communicable and incommunicable attributes, things that we share with God and the things that are unique to God, and especially um, the Trinity. Uh, we also talked about creation, which is answering the question, what has God done? He's created the world. Uh, generally, in creating the world, but especially in created hum- creating humankind. And that leads naturally to this question, providence. How does God interact with the world? And that's what we're going to see today, the general providence, the general way that God interacts with the world, 
And special providence, the special way that God interacts with the world. Yeah, good. That's that's a helpful outline, Tim. So for starters, let's let's ask the basic question. That's a that's a big word, providence. Not a word I use every day, even. Uh, I I think I can speak for you guys saying you don't necessarily say that every day. So what do we even mean by that? What is providence? The idea of providence comes from a number of patch, uh, passages in the scriptures. I'll start with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he, and listen here, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, this idea of providence, God is sustaining creation. He is uh, sustaining history. Another word we could use, and it's here in Hebrews, is uh, uphold. God is intentionally upholding everything that happens in creation. Yeah. Now, that, this is not just a uh, New Testament concept. We also have the Old Testament that uh, obviously uh, we would claim the same God and yeah, the yeah. same way of sustaining. Thank so, you for making that clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Helpful reminder. Yeah. yeah. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. So again, this idea, God is preserving creation, meaning he is actively, intentionally keeping creation going by his uh, will. Yeah, he's upholding all of that, right? Governing all of creation as we speak. Um, and one thing that that does stand out there is the, the scope of providence. It, it involves everything. You said in Nehemiah 9.6, it's everything in creation, every creature, all actions, literally everything and every action in all of creation is being upheld, preserved, and governed by God. That's that's what providence means. Yeah, I'm, God even ordains and plans and determines how many hairs are on our heads. Mm-hmm. That's what Matthew mm-hmm. 10, 30 says. And, and R.C. Sproul has a great quote on this. He says, there is not one molecule that is outside God's control in all the universe. So, the we don't even have a number probably to describe how many molecules there are in the universe. There's a lot. But God controls yeah. and governs providentially every one of them. Yeah. I, I like the way he said that. He said there's not a maverick molecule, right? That's mm. good. And that is that's so much that idea is so different from I think just how we generally think about things. Um heard this illustration one time from a man named John Frame. John Frame said Usually how we think of the world or creation is like a shoebox where God creates the shoebox, he puts the lid on top of it, and then he kind of just sets it out there. And he never really interacts on the inside of that box anymore. You know, he created it, he's just, he uh, kind of set the boundaries for it, but he's never really involved on what's going on inside the box. He's just kind of standing outside. And he said, the better way to think about it is a shoebox that is invisible or has holes all the way through it. God does, yes, create the world. He sets parameters. He sets the laws of gravity, the laws of physics. But 
he's actually the one upholding all of those. He's the one actually interacting and making sure all of those things continue. And if it wasn't for God intentionally doing that, all of those laws would fall apart. Um, all of those laws would actually come into disarray. And that's how you see the Bible play out, right? There are passages that mention, uh, and they're, they're throughout the Bible, that mention that all of history is moving to one point before Jesus. You know, there's, there's passages like Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, God makes this promise that one day, a long time into the future, he's going to send somebody who's going to destroy the work of Satan who tempted Adam and Eve and plunged creation into ruin. Later on in Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, you get this promise to Abraham where God says he's going again to send a deliverer. He's going to send someone who's going to reverse the curse and bring blessing to people. Another promise later on, now you're in like the year 1000 with David, when God promises he's going to send his own son to David and through David, uh, who's going to be king over the world. And then that leads up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first book of the New Testament, where it says, Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham, God directed every action, every actor of creation to bring about that result from creation to the fall, all the way to Jesus. And until he comes again, God is controlling all of history as we speak. And you just even think of books like Revelation, right? Revelation 19 through 22. It, it tells us there, God is governing and directing all of creation. He's powerfully preserving and governing all creatures, all their actions to that final day when he's going to bring heaven to earth and bring his kingdom in full. Mm. I think this, uh, this just challenges our sense of autonomy. If we think about the sin of the garden, sin of autonomy, oh, yeah. wanting to play God and mm-hmm. rule over our lives. And so uh, this is a challenge and, and the pushback uh, can be um, God is in control, sure, but he doesn't know the specifics or he doesn't really mm. care about the specifics or God, sure, he's in control of creation, um, but not really humans. Uh, we determine our human affairs. Uh, God's not in control of those parts of creation. But the Bible speaks directly to this uh, act, or as far as just um, refutes this idea of he's not in control and does not care about all things. Acts mm-hmm. 2.23 uh, speaks of that when Jesus was handed over, meaning to the cross, it was by God's deliberate, uh, his deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. God is in control even over human affairs, and he has been since eternity. Or we could look at even uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, which says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not or, or this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And listen to verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not a, just a general providence. It's a special providence. So a general providence would yeah. say... Yeah, God's in control, but he doesn't know the specifics. God's in control, but not over human affairs. No, it's specific. Yeah. Very specific. He's in control of the atoms of our lives mm-hmm. and our stories. Our molecules. Well. Our molecules. Yep. So in essence, what we're saying is God is in complete control of everything. 
Contrary to our views that we are independent individuals in control of our own destinies, contrary to our views that we can control history or all the details of our own lives, there is a biblical teaching of God's providence, that God powerfully preserves all of creation and is governing all creatures to a final point. So God is in control, he reigns, and he hasn't resigned. Mm, Good. Okay, so... Maybe this is where this gets hard to swallow. What about sin and evil? Is mm-hmm. God in control of those things as well? This becomes a tricky question. Uh, another tricky question is about free will. If God is in control of everything, then does that mean humans have no free will? And so how would we respond to those questions? I like that. Start with the question of evil. Does God have control over evil? Take a real, here's a concrete example. Think of 9-11. You know, could God have stopped 9-11? Was he in control of those events? There's three ways I'd answer that question. The first is, first, look to Scripture, right? But instead of thinking about this in philosophical terms, just look to Scripture and we see, absolutely, God is in control of everything in history, even hard and bad things. If you look at the Old Testament, there are things like the Babylonian exile, which was egregiously awful, right? God's people literally being dragged by fish hooks up north, exiled from their lands, exiled from their families. You look at things like Christian persecution in the book of Acts, the stoning of Stephen, uh, Paul's imprisonment, um, James being sawn in half. Was it James that got sawn in half? Sure. Sure. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Judas. Judas is the perfect example. God was in such control of the events around the crucifixion of Jesus, he allowed Judas in his sinful, prideful heart to deliver his own son up to death. So God is in control of those when we look at Scripture. Scripture also uses words that make this clear. One of them is that God is sovereign, meaning God is his, he's king over all creation, and what he decides and decrees is what happens Scripture also says alongside his sovereignty, God is always good. So even though God is sovereign and he does allow evil things in history, he's always doing it for an ultimate good. He is never evil himself in the allowance of evil. So that'd be the first way I'd tackle it. Secondly, I'd encourage us alongside Scripture now, now that we've looked at Scripture and say, yes, God is in control, I'd say just look at your own experience. Uh, I, I think back at a youth student I used to have, her name was Ruby. She uh, and I were having a conversation around this very topic about sovereignty and how God allows evil things to happen. And she had tears in her eyes and she said to me, well, what about my friend? And her friend had struggled with mental health issues, was contemplating self-harm. She said, is God in control of that? And what I told her in the most you know, compassionate way possible is, hey, Ruby, what gives you more comfort? that God is in control of those things or that God isn't in control of those things. I know what gives me most comfort. If God's not in control of those things, I don't have a whole lot of comfort or hope if God's not in control. At the end of the day, the only hope is if a good God is in control and sovereign over evil. So that's the only way I square that. The last thing I'd add, having looked at scripture and our experience, I'd say, look at the cross. I've already mentioned this in part, but when you look at the cross, the singularly most evil event in human history at the cross, we see God is actually using 
ruling over, allowing, sovereignly using evil and sin to achieve the greatest, most loving, most good outcome possible, which is the forgiveness of our sins and the application of his grace into our lives. So even though these things are very hard to wrestle with, and they are, they're fraught with questions, we should always look to these things, especially scripture and the cross. Have to look at those. That, that's helpful, Daniel. Thank you. Um, but what about the other common question, Chad? Maybe you could ta- try and tackle this. Good luck. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me the question first. Free will. What Do we have free will if God is sovereign? If providence means God is preserving and governing everything and all actions, do we have free will? Oh, that's an easy question. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but seriously, to the question of... Um, yeah, if if providence means God is preserving and governing everything and all actions, yes, absolutely. But we have to remember there is mystery here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible tells us God is sovereign and that providence is real. Uh, we've already named this uh, in Hebrews 1. We know God is upholding creation. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. God is directing and governing mm-hmm. history. Uh, God... Uh, is uh, he rules over the affairs of humanity? We could look at Proverbs twenty-one. Uh, God reigns. Um, that is clear. We also need to re- remember that the Bible does imply that we are free to make choices. We see it all over mm-hmm. the Scripture. We're responsible for our behavior, including our sin. We're responsible for our actions and our thoughts. God calls us to act and to make decisions, and so it calls us to repent from sin, to believe in Christ, to trust in his promises. So the Bible assumes both these are true. I I still remember a seminary professor um, that at one point in front of the class, he was standing there, held out both of his arms, and he said, Mm -hmm. okay, on this end is God is sovereign. And he said, that's absolutely true. And then with the other arm he held it, he said, and humans have responsibility. That is absolutely true. Have fun wrestling with that tension and helping mm-hmm. your people and your congregation mm-hmm. to wrestle with it for the rest of your life, right? Yep. Um, but on this side of eternity, we cannot fully comprehend how these truths fit together. Uh, yep. So this is what we mean when we say there is mystery here. Yep, yep, and it is a mystery. And what we need to be careful about, we're not de-emphasizing one or the other because we can't fully understand it. That's the common mistake that we make. We we want to uphold free will, so what we do sometimes is, you know, we turn up the volume and then uh, that that dial to emphasize free will, free will, free will, making an idol out of free will, right? If every anything the Bible speaks about sovereignty, then what we do is we turn it down and explain it away, like, no, 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 no that, it, kind of overlook that. But it's the same on the other side. We want to uphold sovereignty and providence, so we turn up the providence dial and turn down the free will dial. And we explain away any parts of Scripture that say we're we're gonna we have to choose or we have to do something, uh, but we have to acknowledge, like you said, Chad, it is a mystery, and the solution isn't turn one of the dials down. It's actually just turn both up hmm. to eleven. To that's turn them to eleven. <laughs> yep, that's good. It's a mystery, and we just allow the Scriptures to speak, even though it might not perfectly cohere in our own minds. Um, hmm. I think that's yeah, like you said, Chad, perfect way to wrestle with it and. Maybe final question here. I'll, I'll kind of take us out on this. As we we've discussed providence, what makes this doctrine so important to you personally? Tim first. Yeah, yeah. I could mm-hmm. I could take a crack at that. 
um, a couple of years ago, um, my wife was diagnosed with MS, and that was a, a pretty chaotic time in our lives uh, to figure out what was going on. She had all these physical symptoms, and you know, then we got kind of a dreaded, dreaded diagnosis. And uh, you know, there's a couple things that you could think in a situation like that. Um, you could think, "Wow, God must be out of control. He must not know what He's doing." Um, or you could think, "This is really hard." But God is in control, and he has greater purposes than maybe what we exactly understand. And maybe some of the things that we value that make this so hard is um, a lack of perspective that we had. One of, one of the things um, that we've talked about with our kids is at the beginning of the book of James, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How countercultural is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, trials equals bad. Well, that's... <laughs> That's not what James is saying. He's saying trials equal good because yeah. he says, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. And so if if ultimately at the end of the day, our health is all about our comfort and ease and and a simple life, then yeah, a diagnosis is a terrible thing and only a terrible thing. Yeah. But if God is providentially in control, actually his perspective is higher than ours, and he has purposes that we don't even understand, and maybe he wants to give us the gift of those things that could only come through difficult life circumstances. And at the end of the day, we have to surrender to the fact that God is at work in ways that we don't fully understand, but we know his character, we know who he is, and so we can trust him even through challenges like that. Yeah. Uh, and when I think of personally, I think back, I, I didn't grow up as a Christian. So, um, you know, there were a lot of things that happened in my life that as I, I look back at now and reflect on now, I think, wow, you know, there were a lot of really bad things, a lot of, you know, abusive things, a lot of like uh, really... Um, I would even say evil things that happened in my life. And as I was going through them, I didn't, I didn't know how to, to handle those things. It wasn't until I got a little bit older and could look back and even categorize those as, Hey, that was wrong. What happened to me or that what I was going through then, um, was, uh, especially hard. But now I can look back at those things. And what Providence does is it helps me look back at some of those events and say, Whoa, a lot of those things God was actually using um, in order to shape me into the person that I, I am today. And he was actually using those in a lot of ways, like you had mentioned, Tim, to let go of my grip on control and actually trust him through a mm-hmm. lot of really hard circumstances. So I even think about, um, this was just a couple of years ago for me too, where I, I was suffering from terrible panic attacks and depression and anxiety and I would know I was going to have a panic attack before I fell asleep. And I would know, yep, I'm going to, I know I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to bed at nine. I'm going to wake up at 11 and I'm going to be up until like two in the morning, just having a panic attack. And I would constantly come back to Romans five. And I would say these things before I'd go to bed. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul echoes Same what James thing. says. Yep. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Mm. 
if God's not sovereign, I have no hope in that pro- that promise. Yep. Because I would say, no, suffering is useless. It's meaningless. But if God is overseeing it, then I know it produces endurance. It produces steadfastness. And it ultimately gives me hope that something better is coming on the other side of it. Ooh, that's good. I'd like to just say ditto to both those answers. <laughs> I'll, add, I'll add this. When I think about providence, who is the God that stands behind providence? And for me... My mind goes to uh, what is the character of God, and what the scriptures are very clear is God is perfectly good. Note, so He knows, uh, can, will only has the best interest in mind of His sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. He's perfectly wise, so He knows what's best. He's perfectly powerful, able to bring about what we need. And the struggle is oftentimes, as we know, He, he allows suffering. But the reality is, and Daniel, you just mentioned this, um, but God redeems our suffering. He uses it uh, in our lives, and as we walk through it, uses us to comfort others that walk through suffering. And God is upholding the universe in charge of history in such a way. He's going to bring it to an end, and there will be no more suffering. And at times, all we can do is just trust his goodness, even when we don't have the answers to the hard stuff. That's really good. Thanks, Chad. That was a good way to end it, brother. Um, And that does really show how the character of God informs everything, right? Like we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, That's all the time we have for this edition of Simply Disciples. Be sure to join us next week as we answer your uh, a different question. We're going to be diving in uh, to a special edition about Christianity and politics. So be on the lookout for that. And we'll leave you the, with the words of Westminster Shorter Catechism, which asks, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Take care, Deer Creek. See you next time. <laughs>